In John chapter 20, the context is this. Jesus has just entered into Jerusalem, and the crowds have been crying Hosanna and waving palm leaves, saying, this is essentially, here's the king who's coming to establish his kingdom. And there's lots of sparks are flying all across Jerusalem as the energy is heightened. There's been a massive worship service as Jesus has entered Jerusalem. And then there's folks who begin to seek Jesus out. And this is what we read about in John chapter 20, beginning in verse 20. The text reads, Now among those who went up to worship at the feast, the feast was Passover that was approaching, were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. And Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth will draw all people to myself. This morning, we're obviously taking a break from our series in James as it is Palm Sunday to reflect upon the coming of Jesus into Jerusalem as he continues to approach his impending death at the cross. Now, as we move into this season, much into the Easter season and into the Christmas season, they're, they're similar in this regard. One, we're celebrating Jesus' incarnation. The other, we're celebrating Jesus' resurrection. But they're also similar in the fact that we're celebrating Jesus, but they're also similar in the fact that lots of attention within the popular culture begins to turn their eyes upon Jesus in the midst of these types of seasons. And so, for instance, uh, I noticed some commercials the other day on NBC that they're going to be airing the kind of second part of the Bible series on NBC on Sunday night starting Easter Sunday. So National Network is going to be airing the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say, right, as it kind of continues forward. Uh, Also, if you notice, if you're on Facebook or Twitter or you're on uh, any of those social media channels, you'll notice over the course of these seasons, Easter and Christmas, there's lots of articles that are being posted out there about the validity of Jesus' life and the validity of Jesus' death and the validity of Jesus' resurrection. You also see it in national publications. Last year uh, at Easter in April, uh, this was the cover of Newsweek. Uh, It was a picture essentially of Jesus. As national attention gets turned to him, back in the uh, several about a decade ago, this was the picture, the cover of Time magazine, as it got a face of Jesus with all these images kind of chopped up to create one face. And the question, the looming question on the cover, whether you can read it or not, but what's there? It says this: Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And that's a question that a lot of folks are asking during this season as we move toward 
the celebration of Good Friday, which was not good for Jesus. It's good for us. It was not good for him. As we move toward Good Friday, and as we move toward Easter Sunday, we remember his death, and we remember his resurrection. There are many people who are asking, who is Jesus? And I believe they're asking to see Jesus in the same way that these Gentiles who are coming to the Feast of Passover in Jerusalem, as Jesus is moving toward the cross, are asking to see Jesus. See, what these folks are doing when these Greeks come to Andrew and Andrew and Philip go to Jesus, they're asking, sir, may we see him? Essentially what they're asking for is this. They're asking for a hearing with him. They want to sit down face to face for an interview, right? On camera, on screen to record it and document it and project it. They want to see Jesus because they want to get a feel for who he is. They've seen the crowds gather and the palm branches being waved and they've seen him ride in on the donkey and perhaps they even heard about his teaching from elsewhere as he's had a public, very public ministry in life. And so they say, we want to see this guy. We want to sit down with him. We want to understand who he is. And so when Jesus speaks in John chapter 12, verses 20 and following, he speaks in response to these Gentiles coming to seek him out to get a gauge for who he is. Who is Jesus? What's he about? What's he like? And Jesus responds with this dialogue in verses 20 down through verse 32. And so that's the question we want to ask and answer this morning as well. Who is Jesus? Because there's all strains and forms of ancient heresy in their modern expressions in publications and across Facebook and on the internet. But I think the best source of information for understanding who Jesus is, is Jesus. And so we want to go straight to the horse's mouth this morning to understand who he is this Palm Sunday. And Jesus says, the only way you're going to see me, the only way you're going to understand me is if you can understand and hold together two images that the world inevitably has to separate because they can't get their minds around how you can hold these two images together in the same person. Jesus says, if you want to understand me, you have to look at the crown and the cross. You have to look at the crown and the cross. First, the crown. Jesus said, you got to look at the crown. Look at what he says in verse 23. In response to this petition to see Jesus, Jesus says, what does he say? The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified, for him to be exalted, for him to be seen as he is for who he is. But notice how Jesus describes himself. He describes himself as the Son of Man. Now, most of us, when we read that language in John's gospel or in uh, Luke's gospel or in uh, Matthew or, or Mark's gospel, when we hear Jesus refer to himself and designate himself as a son of man, we think, well, Jesus is just trying to conceal his identity, right? He doesn't want people really to know that he's the son of God or that he's the coming king. He's trying to conceal his identity because it's not yet time for everything to transpire that needs to take place for him to go to the cross and for him to be resurrected. But when Jesus uses the language of the son of man, he's doing, in fact, quite the opposite in the context of his culture. He's not concealing his identity, but he's saying, here I am. I am the king of all creation. Because what Jesus is saying to the Jews of his day, as he uses that designation son of man, would have been entrenched in their minds and its language that comes out of Daniel chapter 7. And in Daniel chapter 7, 
Daniel's having all kinds of visions, and he has a vision of the, what he calls the Ancient of Days, which is God the Father who is seated upon his throne. And as you move forward in Daniel chapter 7, you come to Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, where Daniel says this. He said, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So Daniel has this vision, and he says, here's the Ancient of Days, God the Father who is seated on the throne, and what comes before him is one who looks like another man, looks like a human being, like a son of man. And he comes before him, is presented before the Ancient of Days. And what the Ancient of Days, God the Father, gives to this Son of Man is he gives him everlasting dominion, a kingdom that will never be destroyed, and divine glory. And so when Jesus says, I'm the Son of Man, the Jews in his day aren't going, what's this guy talking about? He's just a carpenter's son. They're going, what's this guy talking about? He's saying he's a king. He's saying he's the king of all creation. He's saying he rules and reigns, that he has an everlasting dominion and rule, that he has a kingdom that will never be crushed or destroyed. He's saying that he shares in the glory of God the Father. That's blasphemy to Jews of Jesus' day. But Jesus says, if you want to understand me, if you want to know who I am, you've got to look at the crown. Because even in calling himself the Son of Man, Jesus is saying, I am the king. I am the king of all creation. I am the king who rules and reigns, whose dominion shall never end, whose kingdom will never be overthrown, and whose glory shines like the radiance of the sun. In a 2013 release, a worship artist named Stephen Miller, along with Robbie C., penned a song called Here's My Everything. And in that song, they write these words. They say, your glory, speaking of God, speaking of Jesus, your glory is unparalleled, shining brighter than the sun. If you look up in the sun and you think of the radiance of the sun and how brightly it shines and how if you look directly into the sun, it will sear your retinas. I say that the radiance of the beauty and glory of Jesus Christ is unparalleled. There's nothing that runs concurrent with it, and it's brighter than the sun. Majesty as I have never seen. Beauty unlike anyone. Your wisdom is incomparable, for you spoke and all began, and you'll be here when it fades away. You're the beginning and the end. Your glory is unparalleled. Your wisdom is incomparable. You spoke and it all began. You were before all things and you'll be there when all things pass away and fade away and the new heavens and the new earth break into history. This is Jesus. It's what Jesus says about himself. I'm the son of man. And he says, now is the hour in which I shall be glorified. In John chapter, 20, uh, John chapter 12, verse 23. So Jesus is indeed, he says, the Lord of heaven and earth. In John chapter 1, he's the eternal word through whom everything that was made, and apart from him, there was not a single thing that was made that has been made, John says. He's the king who rules and reigns in absolute 
sovereignty and authority. So there is no corner of the universe that is outside of his jurisdiction. There is no place that you or I can go or run to hide from the piercing of his eyes. And that everything and everyone that has ever been will ultimately one day bow their knee to him. Some in this life and some in the next. But everything and everyone. Jesus said, if you want to understand me, you got to look at the crown. But second of all, he said, if you want to understand me, you got to look at the cross. You got to look at the cross. In verse 24, notice what Jesus says. He tells a little kind of a parabolic, makes a parabolic statement, right? He kind of likens his death to something. He says, he talks about a grain of wheat that falls into the ground. He says, unless that grain of wheat falls into the ground and it dies, it's buried. He says, unless that happens, it won't bear any fruit. But when that happens, it bears an exponential harvest, he says. So Jesus on the very heels is saying, here I am, the king in all of his glory. And the hour has come. And the hour in John's gospel is this. The hour in John's gospel is that moment at which Jesus would go to the cross. That moment at which Jesus would be lifted up upon the cross and he would die for the sins of the world. That is the hour in John's gospel. That's why in the wedding in Cana in John chapter 3, whenever Jesus' mom comes to him because they run out of wine to celebrate this big party, he comes, she comes to him and says, listen, you got to do something. And he says, in probably the most respectful way he could say this, woman, my hour has not yet come. Right? My hour, the hour for me to be glorified, the hour for me to be seen for who I am, the hour for me to be seen in all my majesty and splendor that is unparalleled with, not, with whom nothing runs concurrent. That hour has not yet come. But Jesus says, now the hour has come for me to be seen for who I am, for me to be seen in all my majesty, splendor, and glory. As the king crowned over all of creation. But notice what he says when that hour would come. And where he will be seen as that king. He says he will be seen as that king in his death. There is a connection between verses 23 and 24. There is a connection. Where is it that Jesus will most be magnified and seen for who he is? Jesus says it will be through his death. It would be through his death. So in essence, what Jesus is saying, the climax, the pinnacle, or the high point of his glory in all of, crea- in all of human history is the cross. So we might say it this way. The majesty of Jesus Christ is most displayed and seen through his mercy. The glory of Jesus Christ is most evident by his grace. The beauty of Jesus Christ is most clearly demonstrated through a gruesome and painful death. Jesus says, you want to see me? You want to know who I am and know what I'm about? you got to look at these two images, the crown and the cross. You cannot separate those two from each other. In fact, D.A. Carson, a New Testament scholar, said this. He said, it's not just that the shame of the cross is inevitably followed by the glory of exaltation, but that the glory is already fully displayed in the shame. He says, it's not that Jesus suffers all these things and then he's glorified, that he is glorified in the suffering of them. So 
These two images, the crown and the cross of the world, continues to rip apart from each other. Jesus says, if you want to understand me, you have to hold them both together. You have to hold them both together. And see that at the cross is the blazing center of the glory of God. And that as you see Jesus lifted up, Essentially what Jesus is doing, I notice in verse 27, he says, now my soul is troubled, right? Now I'm in anguish. Why is he in anguish? Because he knows of what's coming. He's not oblivious to the fact that he's about to be tortured and suffer and beaten and crucified. He knows what's on the horizon for him. And so his soul is troubled, he says. He says, Father, if there's any way to do this, save me from this hour. He says, but for this purpose, this is why I was sent, to come to this hour where I would be lifted up and be glorified. And he says, why should I be glorified? How will I, or what would be the result of me being glorified, Father? That you be glorified and seen for who you are. In verses 27 and 28. So that what drives Jesus to the cross, see, most of us think that what drove Jesus to the cross on that Friday, right, as he prays in the garden that Thursday night, as he's arrested and tried and crucified on that Friday, what most of us think drove Jesus to the cross is his love for us. But that's only half the story. It's only half the story, Right? You should read John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, right, that he did what? That he gave his only son so that whoever would believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Yes, God loves us, absolutely. And that's a part of what moved Jesus to the cross, absolutely. That's only half the story because you notice what propels Jesus to the cross here. When he wants to turn and run away from the suffering potentially, what propels him to the cross is what? Father, glorify your name. So you see, Jesus' glory comes through his aiming at glorifying the Father. Jesus doesn't glorify himself. He doesn't raise himself up. He doesn't lift himself up. He doesn't promote himself. Who's he promoting? Who's raising him up? Who is exalting him? Who is glorifying him? It's God the Father. That's what Jesus' ultimate aim is. Father, would you glorify your name? As I am lifted up and glorified. Jesus says, if you want to see me, if you want to understand me, you got to hold these two things together. The glory of the crown and the gruesomeness of the cross are wed and they are inseparable in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, most of us are going, that's great. What does that mean for me? Let me tell you what it means for us. And Jesus tells us what it means for us. In verses 25 and 26, right, he talks about how if you and I want to save our lives, we would hate our lives in this world. That we would, we, there, there would be a sense of of the, on our palates, there would be a taste that we're aiming to glorify someone other than ourselves, right? When he says hate your life, he's not talking about that you walk around with this self-loathsome attitude about who you are, right? Every time you look in the mirror, you go, I'm disgusted by you, right? That's not what he's saying. 
What he's saying when he says hate your life, he's saying that there should be, uh, instead of having a preference and a palate and a predisposition to exalt yourself and to promote yourself and to have your, for yourself to be the ultimate source of authority in your life, he says there should be a palate and a predisposition and a preference to have Jesus Christ as the source of ultimate authority in your life so that you're aiming to glorify him and not yourself. And Jesus says, if... In the same way that he does, he's not aiming to glorify himself because he's glorified by his Father. And Jesus says, for those who are aiming to glorify someone other than themselves, and they're aiming to glorify me, whoever serves me, what does he say in verse, 20, uh, in verse 28? Listen to what he says. Oh, I'm sorry, not verse 28. In verse 26. If anyone serves me, if they spend their life for my passions and my purposes and for What I'm accomplishing in the world, they spend their life for that as opposed to serving themselves. If anyone serves me, he says, the Father will honor him. The Father will honor him. Jesus says, what does that mean for you and I? It means that you and I are to spend our lives following him. You and I are to spend our lives laying ourselves down, not seeking our own glory and trying to position ourselves for our own fame, but making him famous with this life that he's given us. Jesus says, you want to understand me? You got to look at the cross and the crown. Both. You got to look at his death and through his death, his shining, the shining radiance and glory Because he said, only if you hold those two things together can you understand me. If you only have the cross or if you only have the crown, he said, then your perspective on me is going to be skewed. But if you see that through the shame was my glory, not on the other side of it, but through it, in the midst of it, that the one who owns everything that has ever existed would lay his life down in humility that the king would come riding in on a donkey. Not a war horse, not with chariots, not with swords, not with spears, but he would come riding in on the foal of a donkey in humility. And Jesus says, if you want to know me, you got to hold those two things together. And if you hold those two things together, it will produce in you an aim for the glory of someone other than yourself. So that God might be seen in your life as beautiful and glorious and majestic because you spend your life on him. Serving him and not yourself. There's an old hymn called Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Some of you may have sung that. Um, as children growing up in churches. But this morning, I, there, I know there hasn't been a whole lot of practical, applicational type stuff. And it's been a very abbreviated message for me, at least. <laughs> but here's why. Because I believe the words of that old hymn. See, some of you right now, you've come into this place, into this building this morning. Some of you, your first experience with us as a church. Some of you have been here many, many times. I believe the words of that old hymn when it says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full 
in his wonderful face where the crown and the cross are held together. And what does the rest of the hymn say? And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. And my hope for us on this Palm Sunday is as we move toward the remembrance of Jesus' death on Good Friday and resurrection on Easter Sunday, is that our eyes and our gaze would be turned upward toward him. Not upon ourselves. Not with a checklist of things that I need to do when I go out of here. And here's why. Because when you fix your eyes upward upon the glory of God revealed in Jesus Christ, and you gaze at him and you stare at him, And like that cute little puppy that you just got or that cute little bunny that you found in your backyard that just gave birth to a bunch of babies, you dote on him. When you're fixated and captivated by him, the things of earth, it's like somebody's got a dimmer panel somewhere and they're just bringing the lights down. And so this week, this week, look up. Look up. Fix your eyes on him. And may the things of this world recede into the background as the glory of Jesus Christ shines brilliantly and brightly in the foreground of your life. This king who was crucified. Fix your attention on him. And what you will find is that many of those practical details will begin to unfold themselves. Let me pray for us. Father, we come today thanking you for the cross. Thanking you that as we remember this Friday the death and the burial of the king of all creation, the son of man to whom was given all dominion, an everlasting dominion, a kingdom that is indestructible And glory upon glory that is unparalleled and incomparable. That there is no one in human history who has shown brighter. There is no one in human history who has been been worthy of praise and honor and adoration. And Father, as we remember Jesus and as many in our culture today turn their attention toward him as we move toward Easter Sunday, as we have opportunity to have conversations and even conversations with ourselves, as we look into the mirror that we would remind ourselves that the cross and the crown have to be held together. that it was through your, your suffering and shame 
that your glory was made most clear. It came into stunning HD resolution at the cross. And as we fix our eyes, Father, upon your Son, may your Spirit pull down the dimmer switches of the things that surround us, that entangle us, that we dote upon in this world. Help us this week to fix our eyes upon him and turn our eyes to him. And look full in his glorious face. And that you might do in us what only you can do. And that you might do through us what only you can do.